welcome. Enough about us and our piddly little opinions. Time to ask a member of the Horror Host Hall of Fame about his top five midnight movies. These are the episodes from Chiller Theater on Fritz the Night Owl that got the best the best fan reaction on his long run on TV in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, on Channel 10. So we're, we are very excited. Welcome. This is the Fright Club podcast. I'm Hope Madden. And I'm George Wolf. We're from MadWolf.com. And really quickly, before we get into uh, everything we're going to talk about this week, thank you for all the uh, feedback. We had a lot of fun last week with the, uh, the That's So Gay edition of Fright Club. That's right. Thanks to senior gay correspondent John Tice for joining us. Uh, the feedback. was a hit. That's right. Everybody loved him, as well you should. And we got a couple of, just a couple of complaints, movies we didn't include. Uh, Corey Metcalf was sad not to see Scream on there. And uh, also Psycho was one that people were requesting. And of course, um, Interview with the Vampire. Yeah, and we talked a little bit about the general, you know, homoerotic uh, quality of a lot of the vampire movies, but that's a good one. I mean, Interview with the Vampire, yes. That's that's pretty gay. And also, we've talked about this a little bit. We want to officially solicit your votes, your thoughts for your most... Hard to watch scene in any movie ever. We're going to call it our notorious show in about two weeks, mm-hmm, right? We got mm-hmm. that penciled in for two weeks. So uh, let us know. Always at Twitter is good at Mad Wolf. That's M A D D W O L F. Let us know your your most notorious hard to watch. Got to turn away from the screen scene in any movie, and we will count those down. So that's going to be fun. All right, let's get to this week. We are so so uh, excited and happy to have a guest. So. So famous and legendary and honored, we don't know what he's doing here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we want to thank Fritz Perrin Fritz Fritz the Night Owl, for joining us, as well as Mike McGrainer, the writer-producer who works with them in their uh, their current live event and online program. Uh, Fritz uh, won five Emmys for his TV show, and the two of them... Excuse me. Fritz has won six Emmys, <laughs> and the two of them are, are nominated for two new Emmys. They wow. are both there. So congratulations to and both welcome. of you for that. Thank you, guys. And thank you, uh, Fritz, for introducing me to Satan's Cheerleaders. I will be forever indebted. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I, I try to do the best and make this, made, made the show uh, an educational event. <laughs> <laughs> it always was. It always was. So these are, uh, just to be clear, these are the, the your five favorite from your current incarnation of the show, right? Correct. Yeah, the show that started in 2010. So these these brought a bunch of requests, fan reaction. Is that how you describe it? Plus uh, the number of people in the theater themselves that actually paid to get in to uh, to see them. That's always a good indicator if they're ready to unzip their wallet. Oh yes, yeah, very know. much so. Oh uh, yeah, we're trying to bring back sort of the feel of what it was like to watch commercial television back in the seventies uh, and eighties and sixties when, say, for example, Columbus had. Uh, Three networks, well, actually four network stations. There was CBS, NBC, ABC, Dumont, and then PBS came later, and then Channel 28 came after that. But for a while, there was just four. And so what we try to do is in those days, the movie, late night movie, was called Armchair Theater, and it ran seven nights a week, and two nights it was unhosted, and... uh they decided somewhere in there before I came there to make the Friday night a double chiller movie because the little five and six, the fifth and sixth graders could stay up late on Friday night and watch <laughs> and watch a movie. And our boss, uh, the program director John Haldy, was a movie junkie, and he had a phenomenal budget to buy uh, the best packages. So we had all the MGM musicals, Betty Grable's, John Wayne westerns. 
uh, Paul Newman, Meryl Streep, Jack Nicholson. Elvis, Godzilla. El- oh, Elvis and Godzilla. <laughs> you better believe it. Frankie and Annette, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis, individually and separately. He just had everything on there except that Friday was always a double chiller movie. And it was unhosted for, oh, I don't know how many years before I started doing it uh, as, as, as a character live host on the show. And that was in 74, right? That was in 74, yeah. Yeah, and it's so funny. We were talking before we started recording. You said the two most requested performers on that show were Elvis and Godzilla. Elvis and that's, Godzilla. That's, they should always be paired up, really, in my book. <laughs> well, it's sort of a thing that, uh, you know, we'd get letter requests, and we'd get letters from, like, fifth- and sixth-year-olds, and they'd be in an envelope, and I mean to say... They would be folded up 83 times, and so there's this little block of paper in this envelope, and you open it up, and it's eight sheets of every horror movie ever made to that point. <laughs> so I thank you, know, Charlie, for writing in, and uh, we'll try to get some of these for you. And, uh, great stuff. Legendary yeah. stuff. So we're now uh, in the current incarnation, and, and speaking of that, what, what's, your, what's your latest projects? What do you got coming up here soon? So uh, we're about to start our new season. The big thing for this current version in 2010 is that this started as a documentary on Fritz in 2008. Uh, he was my childhood hero as a kid. I grew up watching him and then just wasn't sure. And when, and when Andy, man, from CD101 was still with us, uh, Andy was a good friend of mine and told me that Fritz lived in his neighborhood, uh, introduced us, and and we sort of started this documentary on, on Fritz's life. And then in 2010... Uh, his jazz show ended, and so we just decided kind of to try Night Owl Theater uh, on the internet as, you know, keeping it the same feel as Channel 10's show, mostly horror films because that was the most popular night. And uh, Joe Bob Briggs, a friend of ours uh, and movie host himself, uh, kind of, you know, was telling me the most popular public domain films. And so he said, we'll start with Night of the Living Dead because everybody, yeah. that's going to be your pop popular one. And we kind of made this list of... Uh, you know, 12 films and formed a season one, sort of. And right before our launch, uh, Grandview Theater, Dave and Jennifer over there uh, got wind of it, said, would you like to do it in a movie theater? And at that point, it was sort of not knowing how it was going to play because you're in your living room watching it growing up. In in the theater, you're much wider audience, less intimate. And uh, we gave it a go and and it it sold out. And it went. The old, so. the old one used to have, I was on camera three times, at the beginning, in the middle, and the end. But in between those on-camera times, there were four voiceover commentaries on the movie. And for people that are young and not uh, familiar with, every city had its movie hosts and their own local personalities, which is pretty much gone now. But in the old days, a movie host would introduce the movie, the movie would run, hosted comeback, blah, 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 then commercials, then more movie, then the host, blah, 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 more commercials, the host, all the way through. I mention that because a lot of people say, well, why do you interrupt the movie? And I say, well, back in 74, the commercial stations had to run commercials and break up the movie. It's not like Turner Classic, where Robert Osborne comes out at the beginning and the movie runs all the way through, and then he fills in at the end. So we wanted to make it as uh, 
much like watching television when you had to get out of your seat and walk to the set and oh, turn no, the knob. The horror of it all. Or adjust <laughs> adjust the adjust the rabbit ears, or if you really lived out in the hinterlands, climb up on the roof and turn the antenna. <laughs> we even go to the point of we have young kids will ask, Well, why at the end of your credits, when you do your last segment and your credits, your local credits roll, why do you play the Star Spangled Banner? That's mm. such a nice patriotic touch. And then we have to explain to them yeah. that in the old days, when the movie was over, or your last probe, Johnny Carson, was over, the station would sign off with the Star-Spangled Banner, and then it was static till 6 in the morning. <laughs> yeah, it's not like we're saying, America, this is a shout-out to 80s <laughs> late-night closure. Um, so basically, we, the first couple seasons were public domain horror films. For our uh, second year, we made the transition to Studio 35, and that's when the series really took off. And that was... Uh, um, packing that theater, 241 people every month. And we got through that first year at 35, realized that if we tried an experiment, which was a friend of ours had written and directed a horror film called Trick or Treat, and that was a success. And based off of that, we started bigger movies. At this point, uh, not so much on the Internet, just due to rights, on the Internet it was still the public domain films. And now it's theatrical only pretty much, and uh, we're going into our fifth year. Uh, and we're opening with Jurassic Park as the film this June 27th at Gateway Film Center. All right. I should mention that uh, one of the differences is that we found out very, very quickly that the voiceover portions of the show didn't play well in the theater uh, when we did them, so we pretty quickly went to where I was seen on all breaks. But the voiceover things were nice if you were there watching with your boyfriend or your big brother, your little sister, and it's just you and your your companion and me in the living room. But in the big theater, the voiceover mm-hmm. things were uh, it was just like a the, graphic. It was a yeah. graphic of a night owl cartoon and uh, some nice jazz music and my commentary on the movie. But uh, as I say, at home it worked great because they had the feeling, like in radio, hey, you're there with me, watching this with me. Whereas in the movie theater, that just didn't come across. So we pretty quickly went to where I'm on uh, scene on uh, all all of the uh, commercial breaks. All right. So, yeah, just adjusting on the fly. Uh, Yeah. And the further further we go along, it's sort of our effects have gotten better. And it's just it's so neat. Like the stuff we're doing now is really, really cool. Like Fritz is actually able to interact with dialogue from the movie during his break where like he could be serving Jack Nicholson a drink in The Shining <laughs> and literally be Lloyd, Lloyd. the bartender. Right. And, I, uh, I sh- we should mention, though, that this is not like Mystery Science Theater in that we never interrupt the movie while right. it's running. Right. Uh, the breaks uh, stand by themselves. As I said, there's, there's no commentary yeah. of mine during the film like uh, Mystery Science Theater. Yeah. And I think we yeah. were, what, 10 years ahead of them? Uh, yeah, I mean, so, yeah. yeah, and the big thing about that too is the fact that you can come see the film you want to see, uh, whether you know who Fritz is or not, or you can come see Fritz as a fan of Fritz and still see a great film. And so it's sort of that's how we've been able to kind of grab a younger audience and grow with that. And the, we should mention that the movies that we're running, since we're using the newer movies, the older ones we used to be able to put on DVD and literally sell the DVD at the theater, all of our public domains, and we had like two years' worth yeah, of them. Yeah, first two seasons, yeah. But the newer movies, where the, the theater, or we have to pay the rental, we are not allowed to put those for sale on uh, 
DVD. So it makes Sad. it exclusive and and great because it's sort of a yeah. But our you gotta come out ready. and join it. Our cash register doesn't ring. I like the I like the sound of money. That's why we have T-shirts, posters, and all kinds of goodies at FritzLives.com. Nice, shameless plug. Ring the bell. Absolutely, no, that's fine. FritzLives.com. Check it out. Two nice T-shirts. I designed one of them, and uh, Rome Maynard designed the other. So and some great posters. I I got I got oh, a yeah. gift today of the the Lost Boys episode poster, <laughs> and I'm super geeked about it. So thanks for that. And we will have a brand new shirt uh, premiering for our new season uh, with a photograph by Chris Casella of Fritz, and it's really awesome. All right, and, and that we, is the 27th, right at Gateway. Uh, yep, the shirt will premiere the 26th at the Ohio Theater for the Cap Summer Movie Series. Night oh, Fritz. perfect. And we should mention that it's Matt Harris, a local artist. Who does all of the posters for us? Very nice. All right. All right. Well, let's jump into the list uh, with the first, the first of the films on the list, uh, the original 1960 version of Little Shop of Horrors. Is this Doctor Farb's office? <laughs> I see it is. I have three or four abscesses, a touch of pyorrhea, nine or ten cavities. I lost my pivot tooth, and I'm in terrible pain. <laughs> well, I, I can't help you today. Oh, that's all right. I'll just wait outside. <laughs> well, that was uh, always one of my favorites because it was one of the rare films where you combined humor, jazz, and horror all in the same thing, and they were able to successfully pull it off. And then you read the story behind Little Shop of Horrors as to how they did it in a week. And it's like one of the earliest Jack Nicholson movies, yeah. or his third or fourth. Yeah, that was him in the clip. Uh, his the, the dentist, the famous dentist scene. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yep. He and he's the he's the guy that likes the pain and <laughs> leave leave the, the famous Nicholson shark smile is quite oh, yeah. Uh, quite. Yeah. It's a, it's a great scene as he's leaving. Yeah, he turns around at the last second and faces the camera, and he's missing right. all the teeth. Yeah, it's a it's a hilarious scene, and it is Roger Corman, I think, at his best. I mean, the thing that he did, I think, the best was to make the most like the most efficient use of every single thing available to him, and piece together a surprisingly coherent, interesting, fun movie that cost like Ed Wood nothing, like <laughs> so mm-hmm. little money to make. And uh, of all of the ones that he made, I think this has got to be sort of the shiniest gem of the whole lot. I have to agree with you there, and as I say, humor and horror rarely, unless it was like an Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein or Frankenstein, or, or ever since I saw ever since I saw Young Frankenstein, I can't say I can't say Frankenstein. But uh, and again, that's uh, one of my all-time fa- favorite uh, places where horror and um, comedy mix so well, as well as the oh, the one uh, we haven't shown it yet. What was the one where George Hamilton played the modern vampire? Uh, was we that should... Love at First Bite? Love at First Bite, yeah. You showed that on Night Owl. Night Owl. Yeah, 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 yeah. The original Night Owl, and I've just uh, come across, there's also a series called Night Owl Theater, the Legacy Series, that premieres every Saturday night online, and uh, it's a half hour's worth of restored footage from the original Channel 10 show that survived. Oh, sort of uh, like Fritz... That we found in Fritz's garage. Garage, yeah. 37 hours of it, and yeah. I've been Three quarter... digitizing it and... Three-quarter-inch tape, which is yeah. like when radio was powered by steam. <laughs> <laughs> and I found uh, in recent episodes we have Fritz hosting Love at First Bite. So, no, but so, you, as I say, I like the I like the humor and the, and the horror mixed quite well. And of in, course, in years later, the first little it shot. became the musical uh, on on stage, and then the musical uh, movie, which we have done in our uh, our last season. We just premiered it last September. We had the new Little Shop of Horrors. 
and we did a special version where we we had both endings. We had the original dark ending, and the uh, if you made it through that and watched the end of that, Fritz comes back on and brought us the happy. Nice. Very nice. We we cover all bases. <laughs> that's right. So that's number five, the original Little Shop from 1960. And moving on to number four, we you just quickly mentioned this uh, a few minutes ago, but we'll get more into it. From 2007, it is Trick or Treat. Look at me. It's not a trick. It's real. Tonight is about respecting the customs, not breaking them. Trick or Treat was uh, written and directed by Columbus-born, uh, grew up in Bexley, Michael Doherty, who uh, most of you know for writing Superman Returns and X-Men 2. And now he's he's also written X-Men Apocalypse, which is coming out, and he has a new horror movie called Krampus coming out this December. Krampus. See? So. This every time, every time he just knew, I wrote nothing. He just shouts Krampus and points at me that's every time. I brought up how the long Christmas ago demon. I brought up Krampus, and you said that's not such a thing. That's not a real thing. I said yes, it is. It's the Christmas demon. It's Krampus. Yeah, so and you I, just and, said a buzzword for it. And so once Michael you. is uh, once Michael's done with Krampus, he's actually making Trick or Treat too. Nice. So there's that. But but so Michael grew up watching Fritz, and uh, I met Michael in L.A. in about 2004 right before he wrote Superman. It was like right around that time where they just locked that deal. And just we kind of discovered that we're both Fritz fans, which is awesome. And uh, when years later when I started working with Fritz, I got a hold of Michael again and and said we'd like to give Trick or Treat the night out treatment. And he was excited about it. So I... And it was really an unusual thing for them to do, to allow permission uh, for me to do something like that. Well, and one of the cool things about this movie, I've certainly noticed just in, in talking to horror fans, that it's really well regarded by a lot of people, and, it, and it's really easy to tell when watching it that it, he was a fan of the old time, because you have a real homage type of feel to the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Very, very, a lot of creep show uh, type, th- type feelings, and uh, oh man, there's so many references in there. One of the things Michael told me about Trick or Treat and Fritz and the connection with that is... When he was making Trick or Treat, there's a scene where Brian Cox is uh, flipping through channels uh, while he's having a drink with his dog, and one of the channels that he flips through real quick was supposed to be Fritz, oh. and he didn't know how to contact him or get a hold of him. Or I mean, this was literally, and so this was 2006, but it's before I started working with Fritz before yeah. the show came back. And I remember Michael telling me that on the phone, and I was just like, oh, my God. You have no idea. Like, Think, think of how I felt. Yeah. <laughs> I sh- we should mention that Michael's kind of uh, an inspiration in the sense that he had just graduated or had spent a little time from the time he finished uh, schooling to the time when all of a sudden he was writing professional yeah. Grade A Hollywood movies. He what graduated was from DeSales, and he went to NYU for animation, and that's where he made the season's greetings short in 1996, which is the character of Sam from Trick or Treat mm-hmm. in a little animated short. And then um, from there, Brian uh, he had written, he got an option writing a script, Urban Legends Bloody Mary, yeah. which went straight to um, DVD, and Brian Singer uh, had read it and uh, liked the script uh, and basically met with him and, and I was going to throw in there uh, <laughs> Bloody Mary starring the Mara sisters yeah yeah. yeah. oh really like Rooney Mara and uh, oh, well, oh wow yeah so uh, nice. yeah 2007 Trick or Treat a good one and 
It features one of our favorite young actors, the kid who played Thurman Merman in Bad Santa. Brett Kelly. Yeah. That's right, Thurman <laughs> Merman. But I mean, this cast, this cast oh, it's is a great killer. Cast. Oh, my, and Brian it's Dylan Cox. Baker. Dylan Baker. Dylan Baker, who, yeah. Who, and I, I talked to Michael Doherty about this movie a couple years, actually a few years ago, and he said that, that uh, it was Dylan Baker's character in Happiness that inspired the character, who's actually an actually worse human being in this movie than yeah. he is in Happiness. Which is hard, hard to, to believe. believe. And then mm. Brian Cox, as you mentioned, who's just awesome in this and of course, uh, Anna, Paquin. Anna Paquin. Yeah. And it's well written in the sense that yeah. it's kind of like um, Pulp Fiction in that there are four stories going on. They're interrelated, but you don't realize it until almost the end. And you see how all four of these kind of episodic things that are happening to different people, you say, well, how does that, how do these two girls, this is going to be your first night, and the audience has, you know, their impression of what for kind of first night they're talking about. And then they've got the, the guy who cuts off the the head has got on his table, and they've got the guy watching television. You say, well, how do all of and the lady who rips off the sheets in the front yard, mm-hmm. you say, how does all of this <laughs> fit together? And he makes it fit together. Yep. So it was really... And it's also... Uh uh, visually glorious. It yeah. is a beautiful movie to look at. It, and, uh, you know, we knew at the, this point that he, he could write, but, uh, you know, this was the first chance that the general masses got to see what a lovely yeah. job he does directing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good movie. And that whole, that whole, like, thing, like, when even on the set of Superman Returns and everything, he would draw Sam crawling up and down around the scripts. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure it prompted Brian to be like, okay, who is this? <laughs> and they were, uh, I think it was in, uh, it might have been in Hawaii when they were on vacation or something and and he asked Mike and Mike told him about Trick or Treat and all that and Brian produced it and made it happen. So Nice. Very nice. Yeah, that's number four, Trick or Treat. Moving on, now we're into the big uh, classic classic territory. Number three on their fan favorite list from 1984, the original Nightmare on Elm Street. No one knows where it came from or who it will visit next. Nancy, something wrong with you. You're imagining things. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. Ah, a new masterpiece in fantasy terror, Nightmare on Elm Street. Well, when you can see that, when you can see that much blood and gore hiding under your bed, who? I mean, it's a thing that everybody knows that if you if you put your feet over the edge of the bed and you don't have the sheet covering your feet, that the evildoers that live under your bed, the monsters are going to come out and get you. So, I mean, hey, we who just could saw, say no to that? We just saw a documentary uh, called The Nightmare, which is absolutely, utterly brilliant. <clears throat> and if you get a chance to see it, everybody should go see this documentary called The Nightmare. And um, and it's it's uh, it's about sleep paralysis. And it's oh. so clear once I've, like, this experience of this documentary, that has got to be what inspired the movie Nightmare on Elm Street. There's, like, there's no question about it. And both are so terrifying. And at the time when Nightmare on Elm Street came out, I mean, that's the thing, right? Uh, you know, it, the film is hampered by a budget. You know, not all the acting is great. Johnny Depp is great, but Heather Langenkamp is a pretty uh, talentless feature. But the concept that it's in your dreams. I mean, how much longer can you stay awake? Oh, my. I, mean, it was, it was, I was a kid. It was so terrifying, this idea. Right. And then the worst thing that can happen after you watch a scary movie always, of course, is you're going to dream about it. And then you're like, oh, my God, I'm going to dream about this. Mm-hmm. And he'll kill me. It was brilliant. It was utterly brilliant. Fritz is not going to like this story at all, so I'll keep it very brief. But uh, <laughs> but I uh, I was uh, house-sitting for someone recently, and I woke up in the middle of the night to the sound of a laughing, cackling witch outside of my bedroom door. Ah! 
And I was just like, I was just like, well, I I dreamed it probably, and then woke up and heard it, and I looked it up, cackling witch, and it's it's a thing that people mm. experience. So I'm not really sure I'm going to watch the nightmare yet. <laughs> Maybe not. Never, <laughs> Maybe not. Never ne- never heard of that one either. Oh. And, and well, the nightmare just came out. So it's by the guy who did Room Two Thirty Seven. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For The Shining. That. I'm kind of curious to see it because I've had the sleep paralysis before. Oh. It's uh, it's actually playing right now at the Gateway, and it's it's absolutely genius. And and I spend, as you might imagine, an enormous amount of time watching horror movies. It's like my very favorite thing to do in my life. I've never almost turned one off in my life until this one. Mm-hmm. I just thought, no. <laughs> <laughs> see, Fritz, I don't know you watch that. <laughs> and you know, the always the image for me from the original Nightmare on Elm Street was when. He's walking down the street and his arms are real long. Terrifying. That yeah. is, that's the image right there for yeah. me. That because I have not seen all of the sequels. How many are there? Twenty. Uh, uh, but there are nine. <laughs> he's ready with that answer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, that's the one. When I just think of that entire series, that's uh, that image of the long arms is just creepy. Well, okay. I'm sorry. There are eight plus one really bad one. That was a remake. <laughs> that was a train wreck. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We all saw that one too. More Mara news. That was Rooney Mara as well. It's great cast She's too. Everywhere. Jack Harrell, Haley. Oh, Jack Harrell, Haley. I mean, oh my everything God. about that movie should have been great. Wasn't good. But we're going to move on to a movie that is uh, absolutely killer, no matter how you look at it. Mm. From 1979, the classic Alien. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, in fact, that clip you just played uh, is one of the Fritz segments in our Alien episode, leaving an idea of how the series works. Uh, So you're done with a scene from the film. It's about to go to commercial break, so the film will black out. And then we come in, and John Hurt's struggling on the table, and the chest burster pops out. And it has little Fritz glasses on. And Fritz is known for these <laughs> iconic owl glasses, which I'm sure you'll uh, see by Googling his name um, or remember. But uh, it's so Fritz does the whole break as the chest burster. And then when he flies off the table, it's Fritz's voice going, Shazam! And it's <laughs> it's one of the funniest things that we've ever done. Uh, because as it flies off the table, it's still wearing the glasses, and it, you see its mouth just Shazam! Yeah, yeah, for, <laughs> for, for, for those of you not familiar with, with the owl, they were trying to figure out how should the owl be presented as a character live on camera. And literally, they did think of putting me in a, a San Diego chicken type of suit. <laughs> this was way back in the 10 TV yeah, version. This, right. this is back the in 74. TV, yeah. And uh, fortunately, they dinged that because in those days, the what they call the staff announcer uh, also had to do commercials and where a guy in an owl suit could sell hamburgers and, and uh, you know, lightweight, funny stuff, you couldn't see. It, it, would, it would have been ridiculous for the the night owl to be standing next to a Buick, a new Buick, you know, or a refrigerator or something really high price. And Elton John was real popular at the time, so our art director went to the nearest Revco drugstore, found a pair of glasses on the rack, took them off, added the horns, and uh, that was it. When Which I are moved, Masonite, right? It's yeah. Masonite horns. And then they put glass. Uh, he broke mirrors and glued them to the horns because we had a starburst filter on the camera. So when my head would turn, the starburst filter would catch these odd angle pieces of thing and shoot uh, a blast of light into the 
into the camera, and the dopers loved it. They were <laughs> they were they were getting a light sh- they were getting a light show and a great movie at the same time. But I've always said, if I lose the glasses, my career is over. <laughs> they won't remember me. They'll remember the glasses. It's great that you use that scene because I remember seeing the original Alien in in the theater. I believe it was seventy nine. Was eighty seventy nine or eighty? Uh, and just we didn't know that was coming, you know. And when that thing popped out of there, holy crap! I mean, that that's that's the reason why that scene is so iconic. So it's perfect that you use that. Well, and Ridley also surprised the cast with the amount of blood that he shot at them. So those are all like they're real. When they jump, it, that one shot of him getting sprayed in blood was just, he told him, you'll get sprayed with a little bit of blood, and it was it was like gallons. <laughs> but, but this was also another great uh, combination of uh, terrific science fiction and horror. Yeah. yeah. Which was... Um, it's almost very psycho-esque with the pacing, too, because it's just this very slow build-up, and then when that moment happens, or it takes out uh, right, the John suspense Hurt's character... Is, the, the suspense is just... Uh, yeah. And then Ed, it just becomes a chase movie, which is incredible. Yeah. Well, as a lot of people pointed out, it's basically a haunted house movie in space. And it yeah. makes yeah. more sense than most haunted house movies because you actually can't leave. Like, there's, there's, where are they going to go? They can't possibly leave mm-hmm. there, so you really are trapped. And, of course, um, Ripley is the greatest hero in action movies of all time. She is. Agreed. Uh, yeah, I was going to say that. That launches that. And at the time, she wasn't the main, main character in that movie. I mean, she ended up being, you know, the, the, the last one. last girl. Yeah, the best last girl. But in the subsequent sequels, she really her upped her badassness. Yes, yeah, she was, and you know, and it is too bad that the movie got sequeled to death because the first two are are just works of genius. They really are. As is the final film on this list, number one on the the new uh, Fritz fan favorite list, The Shining from 1980. No charge, dear Mr. Torrance. No charge. Your money's no good here. Orders from the house. Orders from the house. Drink up, Mr. Thomas. I'm the kind of man likes to know who's buying their drinks, Lloyd. Yeah, that uh, that scene right there in The Shining, that is uh, one of the coolest moments of our episode as we... Uh, did a, a quite a simple effect, but we took the head off of Lloyd, the bartender, and we replaced it with Fritz's head, keeping Lloyd's outfit. And so he's serving Jack Nicholson a drink, but even though Lloyd starts to walk toward Jack, we did a frame-by-frame sort of tracking and a rotoscope to, to I mean, it looks like Fritz in that outfit. People ask me, where did you get that uh, bartender's oh, uniform? Nice. It really look It really looks real. Yeah. And then the clip got you guys both nominated for Emmys last year. Is that right? Yeah, uh, that, that was, was one of the ones that we submitted as a composite of, for the Emmy nomination. I should mention also that in that thing, I, as the bartender now, interact with the dialogue from Jack Nicholson. He'll say stuff, and, and I'll respond to it. Uh, when he calls me Lloyd, I tell him, no, confused, I'm <laughs> Fritz. And, uh, so the interaction between uh, the guy in the film and me is again unusual for local television or things like that. Nice. And the writer, we knew we wanted to do that effect with the interaction. Um, but our writer on that episode was a guy named Vitis Barzukas, who wrote the current Captain Blood that's going on in Schiller Park play. But oh. he uh, he wrote it, and one of the greatest parts of that uh, that little interaction between Jack and Fritz is, you know, he calls Fritz Lloyd, 
and then Fritz explains that he is that Lloyd had he gave Lloyd the night off, and that Fritz is movie host, and then Jack, of course, we cut to the you were always the best of them, <laughs> and they kind of get that little. Yeah, fun, fun little thing. Well, as I said, we've talked about we've talked about this movie many times, but I'm curious, just from from your perspective, what makes what makes this such a classic movie for you guys? Well, again, it's not obvious. It, it's it's you get the feeling of, of itchiness when they're there alone, but all of a sudden, when the two little girl twins show up, uh, <laughs> you begin to wonder what this happens, and and you see Jack slowly going bonkers. It, it has a tremendous suspense because you're really not sure of where it's going to take you and that sequence where uh, Jack goes into the bathroom and the beautiful nude is in the bathtub you talk about scenes that stay with you for a long time (laughs) when he goes to kiss her and what happens there (laughs) stays with you for two completely different reasons yes as well as the guy the two guys in the hotel room and the one guy in the bear suit that's a but, that's right. Yeah. That is that is one scene where until I watch it again I seem to always forget about it and it's like, Oh yeah, that happened too. Yeah. So there's a there's just so- there's a furry party going on <laughs> in the in the uh the hotel. And it really lent itself well to the kind of thing we do for Night Owl. So it just had all those things going for it. Plus it was just a scary, scary picture. It is. Yeah. And and one that you can just keep seeing. I, I don't get tired of seeing. I mean, if I'm flipping channels and it's on some show, I'll leave it on. Well, it's such a beautiful movie. Like you, say, you can, a great one yeah. to see in the theater. Like yeah. one, if you can see it on a big screen, you absolutely right. need to do that. Anywhere you freeze a frame in that movie, and it's a painting. I mean, it's it's incredible. Because Kubrick is a genius. He is. All right, that is number one, well deserved on the uh, Fritz the Night Owl top five fan favorite lists. And as we said, it's it's back. It's moved to the gateway. Once again, your your next uh, events coming up, when are they? Where are they? So the fourth Saturday of every month, the way it is set up is at 10 p.m. You can show up at the gateway. You can meet Fritz in the lobby, buy merch, get stuff signed, take pictures. At 11 p.m., there's a pre-show leading up to the midnight episode. Uh, this pre-show is set up Channel Z is the station I created for to be like a, a fake 80s TV station. So when you show up at 11, it usually shows, I just have an hour of, as if you're tuned into the channel and Night Owl hasn't started yet. So it's sort of just things going on, commercials still, just different uh, you know, clips from Elvira in the 80s or whatever we do to put together like this mishmash of a fun TV station. And then, of course, at midnight is when the... TV station takes over, you'll see upcoming Night Owl episodes, and then it goes right into our new episode. And usually each month we reveal uh, about the next five or six episodes, and then each month usually there's a new one we announce. And so this past month we announced a a very amazing, kind of unbelievable one that we're allowed to do. We can't talk about it, but you can see the trailer if you come to Jurassic Park, or we set up a website for we are allowed to say, and that's Force dot fritzlives.com and if you go there that website will keep you updated on the status of that particular episode very nice very nice all right well as always keep any comments coming about the about this episode and also we need to know your uh, your votes your, your choices for your most extreme hard to watch gotta turn away scene for our notorious episode and any movie any movie that uh, that you want what's the toughest scene for you to watch let us know we're at Mad Wolf on Twitter. That's M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. What do we got next week? We're going to talk about uh, road trip horror next week. It's summertime. It's time for people to take a vacation. We're going to talk about, uh, well, reasons to stay home, I guess, basically. 
So uh, if you have thoughts about that, you know, let us know. You can also uh, uh, leave us a message on goldenspiralmedia.com. We get those as well, and we'd love to hear from you. All right, the legendary Fritz the Night Owl, Mike McGrainer, Emmy nominated. Thank you guys so much. It has been such a treat. Likewise, thank you. Thank you. Until next week. I'm Hope Madden. And I'm George Wolf. This is the Fright Club Podcast. Hey, greetings, good groovers. Fritz the Night Owl with your voice of the night inviting you to stay frightful, my friends. Yay!